give you a set of batteries. I know you can hear me. I know that I, I, I don't need to uh, use a microphone to project my voice, but we do have people online that uh, it's hard for them to pick it up. So this is why we use the microphone. Plus, uh, it makes me feel important. No, <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, you guys make me feel important. Amen. I praise God for you guys. You guys are just a blessing. And, and I want you to know that this letter here, if there was ever a letter that I could write to the church at North Park, it would be the church to Philippians, to the Philippi's. The, the, uh, the church in Philippi, the Philippians, as we know, this is the letter that Paul wrote to his beloved love people. This is called the letter of joy. It's a joyful letter. And I don't know why they call it a joyful letter or letter of joy. Uh, and I can tell you right now that over a dozen times, Paul says joy or rejoice in this letter. This letter here has a lot of uh, favorite verses. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people that have taken a lot of these verses from the book of Philippians. And what they've done is they've uh, made messages and sermons out of them, you know, and, um, and, and they're, they're very, very good messages, very good sermons, very good verses. But you, you really just can't take the, the, the verses out of context without some sort of context. But You'll probably, if you have your Bibles open, if you want to kind of highlight some of these verses that Paul uses that we have used as we talk about. And first, first of all, is Philippians 1 verse 6. Uh, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at that day of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're familiar with your scripture and if you've been going to church for some time, that's one verse that is used often. Verse 18 in chapter 1. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that, I rejoice. Once again, the word rejoice and joyful. This verse is sometimes taken out of context. It doesn't matter what anybody preaches as long as it's got Jesus in the middle of it. And we'll talk about that when we get there. Another favorite verse of most people is Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is... Yeah, you know that verse. Very good. Uh, Philippians 1.23 and 24. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And we say that all the time. We've probably heard that a few times because uh, many times we think, you know, it's better for me to be with the Lord, uh, but, you know, it's, it's good for me to be with you as well. And so there's, there's a lot of verses. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. I'm glad you know where everything is at. I, I, tell, I tell people that my brother Ken. He has the, um, there it is. He has the gift of spackle. He fills in all the places that needs to be filled in. <laughs> we, every church needs a, a can. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you so much. Uh, once again, that was verses 23 and 24 out of chapter, chapter 1. Verse, chapter 1, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's not as popular as many of these other ones. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If you've been with me any length of time, I use that verse repeatedly because we're always teaching humility. We're always teaching to be like Christ. Christ was humble. Humbleness, meekness is not weakness. Meekness, when you train a horse, a, a, a powerful horse, you have him meek. He's a meek horse. He's, it's, what meekness is, is power under control. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the verse that we launched off with last week when we st uh, for Resurrection Sunday. 
and we talked about the, the doctrine and the theology of uh, the resurrection and why did it have to be such a grueling and painful death. We looked back into the Old Testament to show you how it was already prophesied for that to happen. Philippians 2.9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That one you've heard many times. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2, So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. To the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not so, not now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We'll dive into this one quite a bit these next few weeks as we get there. Paul is not saying to work for your tra- uh, salvation. He's saying to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And to work out is like what a farmer does with his field. He plows it, not to get more land, but he gets it to produce uh, what's on the land and you work it out. A bodybuilder does not work out his body to get another body. He works it out to produce the strength of what it has, of what the body is capable of doing. Paul is saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for me to do so. Philippians 3.7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3.9, And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. One of my favorite verses, Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His suffering, becoming like Him in death. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained this where I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Then we go to Philippians uh, 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.4, one of my favorite verses as well. Maybe you've seen this on bumper stickers. You'll see this on plaques in your, on your walls. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Many more others that we have that we can actually go through. But the book of Philippians is, is, is the one that a lot of, it's a go-to book because it has a lot of positive and reinforcing verses that we can bring, bring out and, and try to get the message across. But we have to be careful not to take it out of context and use it within the context that it's in. So some of these verses that you've heard, some of them, it's easy to take out of context. Like rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so that means that I have to be happy all the time. And so Paul must have been in a very happy situation. And as you've heard me say before, these four epistles or letters, uh, Galatians, excuse me, Ephesians that we just finished, Philippians, Colossians, and Titus, all of them are considered prison letters. Paul wrote these from prison, and he wrote them at one of the hardest times of his life. And as he was writing these letters, he was filled with joy at what had happened with the church that he planted and that he reached and was able to gather these people together. And when you start to see who these people are, when you you recognize who these people that were saved uh, because of the ministry that Paul did, it, it would just enlighten you. You would say, wow, this is, this is powerful. And, and what became of these people? You, you, must, you must have an imagination to think these guys were powerful in what they did. 
Let me just share with you a little bit about who the people that Paul reached while he was in Philippi. And you'll find that story. It's not one I'm going to make up, but you'll find that story in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 16. If you turn there with me in Acts 16, you'll see who these people were. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, first of all, Paul goes to Jerusalem. He's already on a missionary journey, and people are getting saved. They were targeting Jews and Jewish proselytes, in other words, those that became Jewish people. And they were saying that that Christianity, that Jesus Christ was only for the Jews. And then something miraculous happened where the Gentiles now started to get saved as well. And so as the Gentiles, Gentiles are people that are not Jewish people. For the Jewish people, it's the Jewish people and everyone else. Whether you were Roman, or you're Parthian, or you, whatever you were, Macedonian, Spaniard, Russian, Spanish-speaking, Mexican, whatever, everything falls under the Gentiles for the Jewish people. So for the Jewish people, God is for them and only them. And if you wanted to be a God-fear, you had to follow their traditions, their customs, and all their laws. So when people started to come to Christ because of the testimony and the gospel that was being preached, people were cut to the heart and said, what must we do? And they said, repent. And they repented. Their life was changed and it was different from what it was before. And we'll see a few cases here in just a bit. So when they started to come to Christ, the Jewish people, those that were hard-nosed, said, well, wait a minute, you know, we can't let Gentiles be part of this Christian army. They have to be Jews. They have to get circumcised. They have to follow the traditions. They have to follow the customs. They have to follow the law. And so they got this group together, and they called it the Council of Jerusalem. And there were four things. They said, you know, we, we have to have some sort of guidelines, but we can't expect Jewish people to be, excuse me, we can't expect Gentile people to be Jewish people. Last week, if you were here, we celebrated, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, we celebrated what we call the Seder Supper. That's basically the Passover meal that the Jewish people celebrated and the apostles celebrated with Jesus on his last day. And we went through it only to show how all those pieces of the Passover Jesus Christ fulfilled. Not that we want to be Jewish. I don't know if I made that clear enough this last couple of weeks ago. We do not intend to be Jewish. We were just showing how all of this pointed to Jesus Christ. And so as the council got together in Jerusalem, they said, we have to lay down some laws. And some of the things that they came up with, actually four, and it's in chapter 5, verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Verse 20, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. Four things. Abstain from things that are polluted by idols. Now, We've already gone through a lot of this, and I don't want to go into it much, but there are only four things as a Christian that we are to stay away from. Stay away from things that are given to idols or part of idol worship. And, and that can be anything from the, the idols that are actually out there where people bow down to them and sacrifice their children to, to just an idol, anything that's more important than God. And there are a lot of things that we make more important than God. Second thing they said, stay away from sexual immorality. You know, there's two things that are happening right now. There are so many things that are more important than God in people's lives. And they are being polluted by idolatry, idol worship. They, they, there's people that are focusing more on the government, focusing more on their finances, focusing more on what it is that they can get. And they're also focusing on sexual immorality. I mean, you have that not only in, in various places, but now it's within the schools, teaching children the sexually moral lifestyle. And people are thinking, well, you know, I mean, they got every right to know. And, and, you know, here, and here's the really sad thing about it. A lot of these things, they are making into law. 
And if you don't abide by the law, you become a lawbreaker. And not only do you become a lawbreaker, you become an enemy of the state. There were people in Arizona and other schools that they were going up in arms. And they says, you know, we don't want you guys teaching this stuff to our kids. This is basically pornography was what they were showing to first, second and third graders. And so what the government did is they targeted these parents as domestic terrorists. And the FBI started to target these people and they became they, they were on the watch list and they were all of a sudden targeted. They became enemies of the state. Now, bottom line. When that persecution starts to increase even more so, even that persecution, and I don't know what these parents were, you know, their background, but more than likely, if there are any parents like you, you don't want your, your kids to learn any of this stuff. And you would stand up and say, because the Bible says so. I don't want that taught to my child. I don't even want them seeing it. And I don't, especially in school where you have them for four, six hours a day, and that's all you're trying to teach them. What happened to a lot of these parents is they became enemies of the state. Why? Because they went up against the rule of the day. And persecution is going to come up. It's already here upon Christians because they are not abstaining. I mean, they're not actually going with this sexual immorality. And this is just in the school systems and in people's lifestyles and in what we see and what we hear and what we participate in. And the things that people do in this culture, it is just amazing and how it's, eh, it's no big deal. You know, if they want to act like that, then that's okay. You know what? That's true. But don't infringe on my beliefs. Because the moment they, the moments my beliefs become infringed upon, I have to stand up for God. I have to stand up and say, this is wrong. And that's when you and I will become enemies of the state. Very simple rules, those, those four of them, abstain from things polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled. In other, in other words, what they would do is they would, uh, you know, the, whenever an animal was killed, they would let the blood out. They would bleed it, either by cutting an artery or the heart and make sure that all the blood was, was drained out. They wouldn't eat an animal that was strangled. Sometimes they would strangle animals and they would just kill them and eat them like that with the blood inside of them. And, and God says, no, the blood is life. You don't want to eat that. And of course, you don't, eat, you don't drink blood either. So those were four things that they went out and they started preaching this. Paul left Jerusalem, started going out in all, of, all these various places as he went. The Bible says that in verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came to Derbe and to Lystria. And there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But uh, his father was Greek, so this was a half-breed type of a person. And he was well spoken of by the brothers. Timothy, by the way, is the the writer of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul wrote to, uh, to Timothy as in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, telling him to stay there and pastor that church in Ephesus. And those are letters that were written to this Timothy. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he had him circumcised, not because it was a custom, not because you know, it was you know, it, turning him into a Jew, but because he was already a Jew. And Paul wanted him to accompany him into all these different places. And so the, the, the Bible goes on to say that the, Paul was going in various different places. In, chapter, in verse 6 it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia, Phrygia, Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, verse 7, And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bith, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought 
to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called him to go preach. So here's what Paul is doing. He's going in various places and he's trying to get into places. The Holy Spirit stops him. The Holy Spirit stops him. And he says, I want you to go to this place. And in verse 11, it says, setting out from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of the Macedonian of a Roman colony. Philippi was taken over by King, uh, excuse me, Philip, Philip of Macedon. And he named it Philippi because he liked the city. It had gold, it had water, it had a very strategic place. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest battles, Greek battles, was fought there in that, in that area, in that general area. And in 356 before the birth of Christ, Philip, the, the father of Alexander the Great, conquered or kind of captured that city and made it a Roman providence. And so it became a very popular place for the Romans. As a matter of fact, in Philippi, a lot of the Roman army had retired there. It was such a beautiful place to retire. And so here's all these Romans that are coming in, Greeks and and Gentiles. They have all their various worship experiences and the various things that they were doing. This is the place that God sent Paul to plant a church. Now something very unique happened in Philippi. Look at verse 11. Setting sail from Troy as we made direct voyage, uh, okay, and then leading to the city of the Macedonia and the Roman colony, we remained in that city some days. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One woman, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyteria, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I want you to get this. The Lord opened her heart. You hear a lot of pastors and a lot of preachers and you'll hear them use Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 and open up your heart. All you have to do is receive. All you have to do is open your heart. Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking at the heart of your door. We have pictures, we have posters of this picture of Jesus with a lantern and he's knocking on the door and if you look very carefully at the door, there is no door handle on the outside. The door handle is on the inside and in order to get saved, you must open up your heart to your door so that Jesus Christ can come in. We have to accept him. We have to receive him. We have to just, okay, okay, I surrender. You can come in now type of a deal. But see what the Bible teaches, and we'll see this more and more, what the Bible teaches is that it is God who opens your door. God is the one that comes and opens your heart, and he opens your heart so that you can receive it. If God is not working in your heart, guess what? Nothing's going to happen. It is God, the Father, that opens the heart so that the Holy Spirit can come in. The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin. How do you know you are in a spirit-filled church? Because you feel guilty, you feel bad, you feel remorseful, you feel something is wrong with me. And you leave here thinking, man, I am a sinner. You know, people have told me, oh, I know the Holy Spirit is at this church because I leave there happy, I'm so excited. Oh man, all kinds of stuff is going on and God's going to bless me, really. You know, I can be honest with you, the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to convict the world of sin. And if God's Holy Spirit is not convicting you of your sin, there's something wrong. 
And God convicts my heart always of my sin that plagues me. And, I, and I, I cannot, I'm like Paul, I wish that I was with the Lord, but it's better that I stay behind to continue on in the ministry. But, and I have to fight this flesh that fights with me and, and the Spirit of God. And day after day, it's a new victory, it's a new victory, it's a new victory. And the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to open the heart of the individual. If God, the Father, does not open up that heart, guess what? Nothing's going to happen. Here's what the Bible says, that God opened her heart. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. God opened her heart. God, Paul had this love for this city because of this woman that was generous. She was a seller of purple goods. Purple goods of cloth and, and, and yarn and all those other things. It was a high commodity. It was very expensive. It was a difficult task to do. You had to grab this, this certain type of plant and the certain type of fish and, and the seashell and you build, build it all together and, and you come out with this purple dye in a sense and then you would have to wool, wool together all the wool and cotton or whatever the case may be and make these cloths and dye the cloth and they would sell it. And purple was a color of majesty. And so she was a wealthy woman. She knew the trade. And she had a household that she says, you know what? Come. You know, God opened my heart. I'm opening up my home to you. And because of her love for God and her love for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not a Jew, God opened up her heart and used her mightily. Now check this out. That's number one. As we were going to, I'm at verse 16 now. As we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of deviation and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So this girl, young lady, supposedly, you know, she would tell the future. She would tell people and uh, what, what the spirits would impress upon her. There are people that can see the spiritual world when they open themselves up to Satan and they open themselves up to these spirits. The spirits come in and they will listen to what other people are saying. And these, these spiritual beings will listen to this and they would come back and relay that information to those who are open to that communication. And so when they hear this communication from the spiritual world that are around all these other people, they come out and they say, well, tell us what's going to happen. Well, I can tell you what's going on right now. So and so and so and so and so and so. And they start, well, how did you know all of that? I never even said anything because that's, that's what I do. And so they, they would be able to tell the future in a sense of what are things to come. See, Satan doesn't know the future, nor do the demons. They, they can't tell what's good. They know that there's an appointed time. But the enemy is so deceptive and so, I mean, makes it so real. Yes, your mother told me to talk to you. And, and she's telling me, really, what the Bible says that man is destined to die once and then be judged. That's it. There's no other afterlife here. It's when Jesus Christ returns. This young lady was making the people a lot of money. And she followed Paul, verse 17, and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She knew. She knew the way of salvation. She heard the message. And she knew the message. She knew that this is the message of salvation. I can see it. I know. And the people kept you know, leading her astray. She kept fortune telling. She kept telling the future. She kept, and, and, and I say that because of this. Look at verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. She heard the message. She knew the message. It's like many people that come to church, they hear the message. They know the message. Yeah, I know that it will save me. I know that there's salvation in that message, but yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't want anything to do with it. 
You know, even though it is God who opens your heart to hear this message, you are going to be held responsible for either accepting it or not. God is the one who opens your heart. And if you do not open your heart, God holds you accountable. It is your responsibility. And so you're saying, well, if God's going to open my heart, what if he doesn't open my heart? Then he's going to hold you accountable for that. How does that work? I don't know. But I know that he will. And this young lady, she heard the message. She knew the message. She heard what Paul and, and Timothy were doing and Silas. And, and they were just beyond themselves of what was going on in their life. And they saw what happened to Lydia. Do you see Lydia? Yeah, all of a sudden she's, Lydia, that, that purple good. Yeah, that lady. Isn't she rich? She don't need anybody. I thought the gods were blessing her. She gave it all away. And she's blessing the church. And so this lady, she was listening to the message of salvation. And guess what happened? And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Beloved, it's okay to get annoyed. Okay. It's okay to to get annoyed if they're talking against your savior. It's okay to get annoyed if they're talking against your salvation. If they're not even wanting to listen. Sometimes... I got to be honest with you, I get annoyed with people that just don't want to listen. You know, I can't believe you don't want to listen. You want to listen to the message, the message of salvation. Unless, of course, you don't want to get saved. Unless, of course, you do want to end up in hell. Unless, of course, that's where you want to go, to be under the wrath of God. You see, when God saved me, you know what he saved me from? Do you realize what he saved you from? Do you realize what God is saving us from? God is saving us from himself. Because it is God's wrath that's going to come upon those that say, ah, not today. It sounded good. It was nice. I felt good. Somebody told me last week during the Easter service, they left here. You know, every time I come here, you make me feel so guilty. I go, good. I hope one day you'll change. <laughs> you know? and, and so at this point, the Holy Spirit, Paul, commanded the Spirit and commanded this demon to come out of her. And she was whole. And she became born again. But look at this, what happened in verse 19. Again, Paul became an enemy of the state. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them in to the magistrate, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. These guys are Christians and they're disturbing our city. They're telling us that we can't teach our kids whatever we want to teach them. They're saying that this is illegal and I can't be a boy if I want to be a boy and a boy can't be a girl if she wants to be or he wants to be a girl. You know, who are these people? Who do they think they are? Here's what they did to these guys. Beloved, here's what they did. And, and they, they advo- the advocate, verse 21, the advocate, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrate tore the garments off of them and gave them orders to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailers to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Here's what happens when people get thrown in prison. Oh God, why me? I'm sorry. I won't say that again, really. You know, I don't know where you would stand If something like that happens to you. But you know what? Here's a small indication of what might happen. If you ever talk to somebody about Jesus or talk to them about church or about the Bible, if you ever say something about your faith 
and they call you stupid or irresponsible or I can't believe you believe that fairy tale. I can't believe the, and, and you get offended. Well, okay, you know, it's, never mind. And you back off with that. I can almost guarantee that when the actual persecution comes, you will fold like an old shirt. You need to learn how to stand for what we believe. The problem is most people don't know what they believe. You see, when Paul wrote this letter to the people in Philippi, there were some issues going on. They were poor. They, they, were, they were doing good. They were giving even though they didn't have any money. You know, there was, some, there was some struggle in there between these two prominent women. We don't know who they are. Well, well yes, we do. We'll, we'll find their names later. There, there were things going on. They were being persecuted. And Paul says, stand firm. You know, you got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's not it. Not only did this young lady get saved, not only did Lydia get saved, but the jailer. You know the story. They were in prison. Paul and Silas, they were in shackles, and they were singing songs. Not singing, woe is me. Whoa, not, not that song. I'm sure that they were singing something, you know, like what we just sang. Something joyful and, and triumphant, and Jesus reigns. He lives because he lives. I can face tomorrow. One day, I'll cross that river. One day, I'll receive my crown. But I know I can face uncertain days because he lives. Can somebody say amen? amen. And, and I'm sure that they were just like excited about the fact that I get to, I get to suffer. Paul will say this. You know, I want to experience the resurrection, the suffering of his resurrection. I want to be able to experience what Jesus Christ went through. Many of us don't even want to get up in the morning to come to church on Sunday. You know, it's too cold. It's too hot. It's too far. You know, he's too boring. It's too loud. It's too not, not enough music. It's too whatever. But, oh, was that, did I, I just step on somebody's toes? <laughs> Amen. You know, it's too whatever. It's too small. It's too big. It's too, uh, too noisy. You know, I mean, the Word of God needs to penetrate your heart, and you got to come here, wherever the Word is preached. You see, and, and these men, these men were willing. They were willing to be shackled. And the Bible says, the rest of the story says that during the night as they were singing, an earthquake came, and their shackles came off, and the door went open, and the jailer wakes up, and he says, oh my God, I, I can't believe this. Now, here's, here's something about this jailer. This jailer, I'm sure he heard about Lydia. Hey, did you guys hear? Who are these guys? Oh, these are the guys that, you know, talked to Lydia and she got said, really? Lydia? It wasn't a big city. Yeah, and, and then that, that, they're in here because of that girl. Oh, you're talking about that, that fortune teller? Yeah, yeah, she used to come tell me my fortune from time to time. I'd give them some money. Yeah, she's no longer doing that. She got, they cast the spirit out of her. Really? I'm sure he heard the message. I'm sure he met these men. And I'm sure that Paul didn't stop preaching the gospel. But it wasn't until something happened and he met his maker. And he said, you know what, I'm done. And because a Roman was a Roman of the highest order, and if they failed, they knew, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that death was about to come. Either you take your life or the emperor is going to take your life. So you might as well just finish it right now. That's why he drew his sword. That's why he pierced, he's going to pierce himself. And Paul says, whoa, stop. We're still here. Don't do that. And the Bible says that the jailer fell upon his knees, and he came down. The Lord opened his heart. Look at verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? When the Holy Spirit convicts your heart, and he op God opens your heart, your first response needs to be, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, repent. He didn't ask you 
He didn't suggest it. You know, I think a good thing is for you to stop doing what you're doing. No, it's a command. Repent. Repent. And what that means is that you just don't do the things that you were doing now. All your focus, all your energy, all your life needs to be focused upon Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, what he's doing now, and what he's going to be doing in the future. And all these other things, all these other things that are outside, our government, our city, you, you know, it just seems like it's getting closer and closer. People are being shot. People are thinking this, the uh, a pandemic, uh, whatever the case may be. It detracts us from the gospel message, which the gospel message is clear that Jesus Christ died for sinners. That's you and me. We didn't deserve it. And I can't earn it. But he died for me. And because I know this, my heart was open to the word of God. And I want to serve him from this day forward. Repent. Repent. And it's not a suggestion. He tells them, repent. You and your household will be saved. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. It's the word of God that that penetrates. It's the word of God that's quicker, that's quick, and it's a double-edged sword, and it divides deep and narrow uh, into the marrow, and, and it convicts, and it brings that. It, the Word of God is a hammer. I mean, it just pounds you. The Word of God is, is like fire. It just burns you up. It, the Word of God is a mirror. It shows you your imperfections so that you can change, so that you can be, the Bible calls it, born again. In verse 33, and, and he took them that same hour and he had pity on them. He washed their wounds and said, I'm sorry they beat you. I'm sorry I beat you like that. You know, but I was commanded. Paul says, don't worry about it. It's okay. And he cleaned them up. These are the people that the book of Acts talks about in Philippi. That Paul writes this letter. And there, I'm sure there were many more. But these three are very significant for some reason in the book of Acts. When Luke wrote this about these three people, these three people, I, I'm more than certain, became very prominent leaders in the church of Philippi. They taught people how to forgive. They taught people that, you know, you don't have to follow this, this notion of all these things that you think you're following, like this slave girl. They taught people that it's not about the money that you have. As a matter of fact, if you have money, what you need to do is give it to be able to further on the kingdom of heaven. And these three people were very prominent and their families and their friends as it stretched out and grew. And the church of Philippi was Paul's crown. Paul says, I am so proud of this church. Let me read to you a little bit about the, the church in Philippi. Now we go back to Philippians chapter 1. I need to give you an introduction of every book. And it says here, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. When Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, he is calling themselves not only servants. And I don't know if in your Bible it has a little number there. Maybe your Bible already says it. But right next to my word servant in my Bible, there's a letter number one. And when you come down here to letter number one, it says here, not only servants, but slaves. And they also have a little deeper meaning of the Greek word, which is doulos, of what slave is. And so they weren't only just servants, like table waiters. See, a table waiter or servant would be a diakonos or a deacon. And so the deacons, diakonos, were the ones that waited on table. And they would be the ones that would clean up after everybody was done. 
the diakonos table waiter is not is a leader in the church, but he's a leader because he serves. He's a servant leader. A slave, on the other hand, has no um, recollection of himself. He has no idea of who he is, except for what his master tells him that he's going to be. A doulos, a bond servant, is, is another way of putting it, is a person who is owned by somebody else. A bond servant was purchased, and these bond servants were were all over the place. And they were purchased by people so that they could do their bidding, either cleaning, either whatever the case may be. You do what I say because I own you. And Paul says, he says it three times, a few times, as a matter of fact, in, in the book of Romans, the book of Philippians, the book of Titus, a bond servant. I am, I am a slave. I was sharing one time with a friend of mine about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, you guys are all just a bunch of robots. I goes, no, I'm not. I'm not a robot. I'm a slave. I do as I'm told. And the Bible says, do this. Well, what if the Bible tells you, you know, the Bible doesn't say that. But here's what the Bible does say. And I think we were talking about, should men wear girls' clothing and girls wear men's clothes? And he says, I don't agree with it. I don't care if you don't agree with it or not. The Bible says, don't do it. So don't do it. That's all. Oh, you're, just a, you're just a robot. No, I'm a slave. I've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I do what he says. Nobody else. This world, this government, no one in the, on this planet tells me what to do except for his word. Now, am I always obedient? No, I'm not. That is one of my downfalls. I sometimes fail. I, mean, I fail him often. I'm far from being perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But what God has done is he's made me his bondservant. And every once in a while, just like a bondservant, I have to get my lashes. <laughs> you know, I have to get my, my trancasos, my coscorons. You know, God has to pull out the chancla with me every once in a while, you know? And I'm sure as he has with you, right? No? Okay, I mean, maybe it's just me. <laughs> a bondservant is willingly and determined and devoted servant. Thought of in a positive way, not a negative way. Paul didn't say, I'm a, I'm a slave. No, he says, I'm a slave. I'm a slave for Jesus. And he was happy to be a slave. Not that he was angry or mad or disgusted about being a slave he says i am a slave and i'm proud to say that i am a slave he says me and timothy servants of christ jesus to all the saints now here's the word that has been taken out of context for a lot of people people think that a saint is a saintly person which which they are but a perfect person one that has to be this super christian that is elevated beyond measure and our catholic background has got a little bit to do with that because we only canonize certain people and we call them saints after a miracle or after something that they've done and it's been a great disservice to some of us because of that background that we have and so we think that a saint has to be somebody it's got to be somebody that dies it's got to be somebody that's really good but the word saint hagias the word saint hagias is the word set apart you're different you are now set apart to be servants or slaves for Jesus Christ. Now, that does not make you holy. That, I mean, it makes you holy. It makes you set apart. Holy, again, is to be set apart. That doesn't make you perfect. doesn't make you pure. doesn't make you anything except you are now righteous in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ the Son. So when Paul is sending this letter to all the saints, he's not just sending it to the people that are perfect, that are pure, those that are in the, this level of sainthood, he's sending it to the believers. A believer, a genuine believer is a saint. A genuine saint is a genuine believer. Believer and saint, synonymous. The same thing. If you're a believer, you're a saint. Say that. If I'm a believer, I'm a saint. Okay? So, I mean, this is St. James and, you know, St. Winner. And yes, amen. Amen. Very good. Any, any, anybody named Bernard here? 
I hope not. Okay, St. Ken. Isn't your middle name Bernard? St. Bernard, though. You are a saint. Not because you're perfect. Not because you're pure. Because you're set apart. You're different. You need to be different than this world. You need to be set apart from this world. You see, our fellowship cannot... We cannot have fellowship with the world. Because as Paul goes on, look at verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I I, I stopped to wonder, okay, well, I'm glad that he's remembering. I'm glad that he's thanking God. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayers with joy. There's that word again, with joy. And so he's he's praying, he's thanking, he's excited, he's full of joy. And in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word partnership. The word partnership is a Greek word, koinonia. Some of you probably know koinonia means fellowship, but that's how we've translated fellowship. But that word koinonia is only translated fellowship only a number of times. Most of the times it is translated into partnership, that we are partners with one another. Paul was saying, we're having this fellowship with one another. And this fellowship of the gospel that we have is the fellowship that we share with one another. See, a lot of people think that fellowship is coffee and cheese, man. I mean, coffee and cheesecake. <laughs> Where we all get together and, and, and have, for those of you who don't understand Spanish, coffee and gossip. That's what it was. But a lot of people think that they, you know, that's, that's what fellowship is. We get together, we have a meal. We, oh, that was beautiful fellowship. We ate and we had coffee and we even talked about somebody too. But, you know, we didn't really talk about them. No, I, you know, it's, it's just, did you hear what brother so-and-so did? No, what do you, oh, we need to pray for him. Really, what happened? Well, let me tell you. Because we really got to pray for him. You got to be specific and here's what happened. <laughs> and his wife, did you hear about his wife? No, I, let me tell you about that too. Comadre, let me tell you what's happening. Go, okay, let's pray. All right, Lord, be with them. Thank you, bye. After our fellowship. You know, fellowship is more than just coffee and food and getting together. We call it fellowship. As a matter of fact, I intentionally call it fellowshaping. We go next door and we're going to eat. We're not going to necessarily fellowship there. But it has been made out to be these two things, two people that have something in common. And fellowship is what we have in common. And Paul here says, we have in common the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel the gospel, the good news, this gospel. What's the good news? Well, you got to know what the bad news is first. Here's the bad news. The bad news is that you're a sinner. The bad news is the wrath of God is upon you. The bad news is that there's no one righteous. No, not one. The bad news is that the wages of sin is death. The bad news is that one day Jesus Christ is going to return and his wrath, God's wrath is going to be poured out on all ungodliness. The bad news from the very beginning has always been anybody that doesn't listen to God deserves his condemnation. The bad news is that all of us are born in sin. The bad news is that we're all sinners. All of us. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news is that one day God's going to come back and he's going to unleash his wrath on all humanity. See, because God is a just God. We talked about this during the Resurrection Sunday service. Everybody talks about the love of God and the grace of God and the fellowship of God and how good God is. But you know, you cannot have God's love without His wrath. You cannot have God's grace without His justice. Yes, God is gracious, but He's also just. A good example is if anything were to happen to a loved one of yours and by, by this 
heinous criminal that was taken to court and you guys are all sitting in court. You're waiting for the judge to pronounce judgment upon this man that has been crying and saying, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. And all of a sudden the judge says, you know, I see that you're really, really sorry for what you've done. Yes, Your Honor, I am. You know, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's too bad that, you know, this family here lost their loved one. Because of you, yes, you know, it's all my fault. Okay, well, you know, because you're really sorry and I really see it in your eyes and in your heart, then I'm going to let you go. Case dismissed. Now, that wouldn't be a just judge. A just judge has to administer justice. As a matter of fact, if a judge ever did that to you and declared that criminal not guilty because he's caused something upon you, you would think that that judge got paid off. You would think that judge was an unjust judge. God is just, and he doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. But because of his great mercy, because of his great love, because while I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ this last Sunday, as we celebrated that, and it breaks my heart when families and people just, you know, push that part aside. It's not even talked about anymore. Resurrection Sunday has become Easter Sunday. And the emphasis is on the bunnies and on the rabbits and on the eggs and everything else except for, I mean, they might get a mention of a resurrection. Oh, yeah, that's the day Jesus Christ died and was resurrected. But the emphasis is on the fellow shaping instead of the fellow shipping. The bad news, beloved, is that we're sinners. The good news is that Jesus Christ died to take my place. You see, I deserve that wrath. I deserve that punishment. I deserve God's wrath for the things that I've done. I know this. I know what I've done. I know where I've been. I know what I've said. I know this. But see, Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And because of that, I trust that Jesus Christ died for me and I follow him and I serve him as a slave because he did that. He paid for me, not with gold and with silver, but with the precious blood of a spotless lamb. And when I came to know that Jesus Christ died for me, when his irresistible grace fell upon my laps at that time, I couldn't resist it. I knew that I was broken. I knew that I was a sinner. And I said, yes, God had opened up my heart. And I was born again at that time. And at that time, from that point forward, I said, I'm going to follow you, Lord. I don't know where it's going to take me. I don't know how far I'm going to go, but I will follow you. Paul was excited about this gospel that transformed the life of Lydia, that transformed the life of this little girl that we don't even know her name, or this jailer, we don't know his name, but transformed their lives. And they live in the pages of God's holy word, written by the Holy Spirit, for us to see that God can change your life. He will open your heart. And when he opens your heart, you must repent. And if you don't repent, he will harden your heart. He will harden your heart. And so therefore, every time you hear the gospel, it would be harder and harder and harder for that heart to be penetrated. Not saying it's impossible. Because God is a God of possibilities, right? He's the God of impossibilities. All I'm saying is that when the word of God penetrates your heart, repent and believe. As Jesus said in Mark chapter 1. Repent and believe the gospel. What's the gospel of good news? You got to know what the bad news is first. We have an outline that is before you that I want to share with you. But I had to give you the introduction, first of all, of Philippians. 
And what we'll do is we'll, we'll go over it next week. We, we've got some time, unless, of course, Jesus comes back by then. And then, well, you're going to have to figure it out by yourself if you're not here, if you're here. Or we'll know by standing in the presence of God, right? Amen? I believe that each one of us will be there. The book of Ephesians is called the book of rejoice or joy, or joyful rejoicing. I've called this letter or this series, I guess you would say, I've called it finding joy in the darkest places because it is talking about joy. But it's not because of we're in a very joyful situation, a very joyful place. Happiness is what we all seek. Happiness is what we want. But see, joy has nothing to do with happiness. And Paul found joy in the darkest places. He was in prison while he was in Philippi, and he's in prison now as he's writing to the people in Philippi. And so the Philippians know Paul's history. You were in prison when you were here, and and now you're in prison again, and you're telling us to be joyful? Okay, we can do that. But Paul was able to find joy in the darkest places. You, beloved, when you're a genuine believer, when you're a genuine Christian, when you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, you too will find joy in the darkest places. Let me ask you to stand. And as I said, hold on to your outlines. We'll use them next week. Because we want to we open up, we want to expound. I want to expound to give you a theology of fellowship, what the Bible teaches about fellowship. It's not just getting together and it's not just having you know, dinners and stuff. And you know, that's part of it. But it's very intentional. It's intentional. And the fellowship of the gospel is more intentional than just regular fellowship. Because the fellowship of the gospel message needs to be permeated within this church so that we can share that with other people. Father in heaven, we, we have a gospel message. We have the good news. This world needs to hear this news. That we are a people that are destined for eternal damnation without the gospel message. There is, from the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve crossed that line that they shouldn't have, we have been doing the same thing. And from then, Lord, you have planned this from the foundations of the world for those that are to be yours. You have planned this from the beginning. And I pray, Father, that as you continue to open the hearts, that people repent. That they repent and they turn to you and believe the gospel message. And it's a message that needs to be explained and expressed in so many different ways. And I pray that as we all grow together, that we learn what the gospel message is. The gospel is not feeding the hungry, though it's a good thing to do, but that's not the gospel. The gospel message is not even coming to church. That's not even the gospel. The gospel message is what you've done on the cross for sinners like me. And I pray, Father, that as we move on from this place, that we ponder that thought, that we ponder the message of the good news as to why it's such a good news. Because of the wrath that you have coming for those in our church. A part of a message that most people do not want to hear. But I pray, God, that you just help us not only to grow in that and to know that, but to be able to share that as well. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul, that you knocked him down and blinded him so that he can, you can get his attention. And if need be, Lord, do the same here with us, with me. If I need to be knocked down and, and blinded for a certain amount of time so that I can see, so that your word can be proclaimed. Father, we thank you for all your goodness and your love. And we thank you, Father, for what you do. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people as each one of us exit this place and leave this place, that we'll, never, we'll leave this, this presence, this place here, but never from your presence.
We thank you once again, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen, amen and amen. I'll be up here for a few minutes if you'd like to come up and have a word of prayer.